0: you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to call this particular podcast Exodus 20 comes after Exodus 19. Now certainly that is A bit of a a strange name for a podcast, and I'll explain that in just a little bit, why we went that direction with it. But uh, there's this cartoon from a cartoonist named, uh, well, he goes by Baloo, but his real name is Rex May. And he actually does quite a bit of cartoon, he's done quite a few cartoons, I should say, on Moses coming down from um, Sinai. And there is this one cartoon where Moses is standing there with the two tablets in his hand, and, and he says, these are fine, but what's in it? for me (laughs) what's in it for me and that can be our problem as we come to the the text to the word of god we can look at this and ask what's in it for me but this isn't about us as we come to the word of god we ask what is god seeking to communicate what is he teaching about himself and in this portion of scripture we find so much that really unveils the beauty of god's character and so let's dive in let's look at a few different things there are six things actually that i want us to take a look at And it might sound a bit strange or confusing at the beginning, but we'll clarify as we go. I want us to look at the name, the numbering, the nuptials, the nature, the knots, and the necessity. All right, bear with me. Here we go. The first thing is the name. Obviously, the name here is uh, typically, this is referred to as a passage, the Ten Commandments, which uh, is interesting because in the Word of God, we actually never see the Ten Commandments mentioned. You say, well, actually, don't we see it mentioned in, in Exodus 34, 28, in Deuteronomy four thirteen, 13, in Deuteronomy 10, 4? And you're right, in the English Bible, it does say the Ten Commandments. But the actual term Ten Commandments is just an, an English concoction, if I can say it like that. Because in Hebrew, uh, the word for commandments, it's dabar, which is for words. It's the Ten Words. Now, This is going to be significant because really, depending on how you look at this portion of Scripture, the 10 words, not everything are even Commandments. And if you really want to break them down with every single thing that is uh, commanded, there's even more than 10 things we could list. And so what I want us to see is when we we refer to the name, we want to just uh, stay consistent with what Scripture says. It's the 10 words. So what are these 10 words about? I don't think we need to necessarily know specifically what those 10 words are, as in which ones are the 10, which one are not the 10. I'll explain what I mean. That brings us to the second thing, the numbering of them, the numbering. So what are the 10? Most evangelicals, maybe um, you may listening, you're familiar with this, because oftentimes the evangelical so-called 10 commandments is what would be posted in a courtroom or in some public place. And, uh, and, and obviously when you come to that listing, when it comes to the end, they they combine all of the covets together. Um, and so for the, the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. And then it goes straight to you shall not make for yourself any graven images. And then you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. And you might say, yeah, that's the Ten Commandments. But if you're from a Catholic background, well, it's a little different. They don't have, of course, the they don't, they don't make the third commandment by itself where you shall not make for yourself any carved image graven image or likeness um as you see down in verse four instead they combine that with another commandment and then when you get to number nine and ten they make that two separate number nine for them is you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and number ten is you shall not covet your neighbor's goods well when you come to the jews they have another listing of the ten which is really fascinating and does bring us more into the words category rather than the commandments because when the jews separate these The the first one that they list is I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, period. That's it. Done. You see, there's not even a commandment in their first word per se. It's a statement. It's not a commandment. And then they go on to the second one. You shall have no other gods beside me and you shall not make for yourself any graven image to the third and fourth generation. See, that's all combined into one. And then after that, it follows suit. Um, very similar. So, what I want you to see is even when we talk about, well, what are the Ten Commandments? You've got a lot of uh, different opinions, different uh, perspectives when it comes to the world around us, whether it be Jews, whether it be Roman Catholics, or whether it be most evangelical uh, denominations. What we're going to see is for the, the big picture of what God is communicating here. That's not something we have to decide on because, obviously, all of this text is in Scripture. It's all God-breathed and it's all important. But let's zoom out and let's ask some bigger questions about really what is going on here. Now, I mentioned the third thing is these nuptials um, and, of course, that just means a wedding. Now, I think this is really going to be a key element of the entire passage, because if you listen to the previous episode in Exodus 19, we discuss quite a bit of the ceremonial uh, marriage language which is being used in this covenant that God is establishing with his people. I said that this episode is called Exodus 20 Comes After Exodus 19. Though it seems like such an uh, intuitive or what, what can we say, just simple, basic, um non-insightful title i think it really does say a lot because when we recognize where exodus 20 falls in scripture we don't separate it we don't take it out as a sound bite we don't uh use it as a proof text we have to take it in context and when you take it in context what you start to recognize is it's being given to us in the context of a relationship that god he's redeemed the people and is establishing with the people um so when we recognize that this is not an abstraction of ethical principles that just falls in exodus chapter 20 not to mention that in the mosaic covenant there's quite a few more chapters that we'll be looking at that have a series of laws but in, in many ways this does summarize the entire law and so Um, there's a drastic difference of what's happening here and so it's woven into this account where god has forgiven he's redeemed and he's forming this people for his own name a holy nation as we saw in chapter 19. so let's think back to chapter 19. let's think about the context in which this is being given god has used the language of a wedding in chapter 19 and we saw that in a few different ways in verse 4 it speaks of bringing them to himself which is that language of a bridegroom bringing his bride to the chamber. So certainly there was uh, this metaphor of a covenant relationship. And then in verse 5 of chapter 19, what does he call them? We talked about this extensively. He calls them his treasured possession, and that is so important. It's still language which is used in Jewish liturgy today. Um, And then five verses later, fascinating, moses goes um to console god tells moses to go and consecrate the people and that that language again the very thing that a bride would do in order to prepare herself for the festivities of a wedding um the establishment of the covenant and so i want us just to see that if you were a jew reading this in that day with the language being employed There is no doubt what would be coming to your mind, and that is a relationship that is being established between a people and their God. Uh, We'll we'll see a few other elements of how that that comes to play in the text here in just a few minutes, but um, let's keep thinking this through. When you think about the 10 words, or the so-called 10 commandments, uh, if if you take them from a different uh, paradigm of thought, you can actually see them very much as words that would come in the establishment of a relationship. Now, these are not original to my thinking, and by the way, I'm not fully endorsing what I'm about to say. I'm saying this because as students of the Word of God, I think it's helpful for us to be stretched and to think about things in different ways. And And there was a, a, one teacher of the Word who addressed this passage saying this really is um these really come across as words from a bridegroom to his bride and he explained it like this i am the lord your god we could say i am your husband you shall have no other gods before me no graven images have no other lovers don't even have pictures of other lovers um it, you do not take the name of the lord your god in vain treat me with respect Don't dishonor my name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep a date night. Set it aside for me. Again, I didn't say that I'm fully endorsing this. I'm just giving you what was already said by another. Um, Honor your father and your mother. Trust my provision that it's enough for you. You shall not murder. Don't hurt yourself or others. You shall not commit adultery. Protect your sexuality. Don't steal. Don't take what is not yours. Don't lie. Tell the truth about yourself. Tell the truth about our relationship. Don't covet. Be satisfied with what we have. So again, however you want to take that, my point is to us understand that there is this relation. This is given in a relationship. It's given with relational language involved. It's really important that we do make the comment, though, that this is not in order to have the relationship but because the relationship exists god has called them to be his holy people they've even agreed to it whatever he says they will do and so now he's saying it Uh, so we we see that there are uh, these elements of the nuptials so the name the number in the nuptials but now i want us to look at the nature the nature of these 10 words what is the nature of these 10 words Now. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, writings, a lot of commentary, a lot of thoughts on how the Mosaic Law, specifically not just the Ten Command the Ten Words, Ten Commandments, but the chapters that follow, how they reflect other uh, law codes of the day. Obviously, the Code of Hammurabi is one of the primary ones mentioned, but it's certainly not the only one. And then also they'll they'll mention how the this Decalogue um, is, which is another name for the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, um, how it, it really is written in this, uh, suzerain vassal treaty type agreement, you know, with blessings and cursings later on when we, um, yeah, we, we won't come to them so much in Exodus, but as you go through the Torah, you'll, um, you'll come across those. And, and so, sure, there's similar content. And I, I don't deny that whatsoever. I've taken classes on ancient Near East literature and, and it's comparison and contrast with scripture. And so, um, certainly there's familiarity, but we have to take a couple things into consideration that really show how drastically different this book is, this text is, this law is, to everything else which is happening around it. Um, It's important for us to note, just like uh, C.S. Lewis did um, in his book, The Abolition of Man, that there is this so-called universal morality um, among mankind. And I would say that goes back to Ecclesiastes 3.11, where God's put eternity into the heart of man. He's given us uh, in many ways, just written on our heart, this recognized principle of the value of life, there's not any culture I've ever been to where just simply murder is okay, where simply adultery is okay, where uh, just taking what isn't yours is just absolutely okay. Now you say, well, there's a lot of examples of stealing in our culture that are totally justified and accepted and whatnot. I, I understand, and you're you're absolutely right. That's very true. That there's many common aspects that um, that uh, we 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 don't address in society. But at its root, all of these things uh, exist in uh, the heart of men, regardless of whether or not they embrace the God of the Scriptures. But I, I do want us to just think about what exactly is happening here. Um, in this specific uh, context, the words are not being given to establish the relationship. It's being given because a relationship was established. So this is not just an ethical law code. This is a relational, uh, a relational gift. And if I can say it like that, as in, you're going to walk with me, you're going to be my people. This is what my people are like. This is the heart of God, which is being communicated. Um, and, and that's really where all of this comes back to play. See, this is law versus love. This is duty versus desire. This is Hands, busyness, versus heart, uh, changing us from the inside out. Um, See, one was about constraint. Hammurabi, whoever else, laws of mankind, is to keep man from evil. But this is not about constraint. This is about a covenant. This is about a pursuit, a pursuit of knowing and intimately enjoying God. So there is such a drastic difference between the two. And uh, it's important that we acknowledge it. Now, go back to verse one. It's saying, God spoke all these words saying. And this is an exciting comment because what we see prior to this, this occasion, we see the Lord was communicating through Moses to the children of Israel. But here, he's speaking directly. And I think that does underline and put a sense of emphasis on this portion, that there is a direct communication coming from God to the people um, in this in, in these 10 words that he's giving. Uh, so just keep that in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is the language that is employed throughout this passage. When it's talking about, you shall have no other gods before me, the you is a singular you, which also is important. Why? Because there is a sense of personal responsibility, of personally responding to the Lord. And we see that throughout the history of the nation of Israel, that there were many times of rebellion. And in that rebellion, there were those who honored the Lord, who walked in holiness, and who God honored um, in that. And so they weren't always condemned with the people just because the nation was rebellious, just because the nation was apostate, that didn't mean that every other person was subject to that same result. And so there is this personal element to these 10 words in addition, there's also, it's also said as an exhortation, so not just as this uh, command being given, do this, but as an exhortation, an encouragement, more than an encouragement, uh, saying, this is the way that my people are to be. And we'll talk more about that as we walk through these 10 words, um, and certainly I'll take the 10 words from one of the three perspectives. But at the same time, I want you to understand that uh, we'll, we'll cover the whole text, Lord willing, next time. Now, just as a side note, and again, I'm not going to put my endorsement on this, but I think it's interesting uh, from the Jewish perspective, rabbis would, uh, would say that this is God's second act of creation. The first act separating chaos and order at creation back in Genesis 1, and the second act uh, revealing the separation of right and wrong. I I wouldn't phrase it that way, but I just sometimes like to share with you um, what is being said in the conversation in different areas for us to think through. So we have the name, we have the numbering, we have the nuptials, we have the nature, the nature of the ten words. But now I want us to talk about the knots, the knots, not K-N-O-T-S, but N-O-T-S. The knots, that which is not. What not to do with law and there's a few things that we should not do with the law and there are five specific things i want to make mention of now this is very important because if we do these things with the law of god if we do these things with the 10 words we're going to miss the point of them we're going to miss why god gave them to the children of israel and why they're beneficial for us still today the first thing what not to do with the law is this is not to connect us to god not to connect us to god In other words, our connection, even their connection to God, was not just, yes, if you obey, then there were results of that obedience. But ultimately, God had already brought them through the Red Sea. There was already that connection. But now this is how to live as his people. And obviously now in Christ, I'm not saying that the law of God, which he now writes on our hearts in Christ, I'm not saying that these things are discarded because... Absolutely, these are things that reflect the character of God. But at the same time, this is not our connection to God. And we'll come to that at the end. Our connection to God is only through one means, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on our behalf. This could never connect us to God. In fact, what does this do? This condemns us. And uh, and we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes on a different point. So that's not the purpose. The purpose is not for this to connect us to God, but rather to teach us to walk with God. The other thing is, and it goes right with this point, it's not to cleanse us. It's not to cleanse us. Think about this as a mirror. Now, if I was holding up a mirror and I have a splotch on my face, that mirror can reveal the fact that I have a splotch. It can reveal the fact that I have a a mark that needs to come off, that I have dirt on my face. But what that mirror cannot do is that mirror cannot cleanse my face. It cannot make my face clean. Well, what does Galatians 3.22 say? That the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What I want us to see here is the law reveals our condition, but it doesn't clean up our condition. It just reveals it. So that's an important element for us to remember. So, what's the third thing? The law was not given to us to compare, not to compare us with others. You see. If we failed in one point in the law, well, we failed in them all. A good way to uh, picture this, I like to picture it, is if a a man is hanging by a rope over a cliff, begging for mercy to be pulled up, and that rope has 10 notches in it. You know, if somebody comes and says, well, I'm just going to cut one of the notches, well, what happens? The man's going to fall. It doesn't matter if he cuts notch 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, or 10 any notch, that man is going to fall off the cliff and die. And in a very similar way, the law is connected in that way. Uh, we have in James 2.10, where it tells us, whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And uh, and what and we see is in Romans chapter 3 multiple times, in verse 10, and again in verse 23, where there is none righteous, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this principle is very clear throughout Scripture. Uh, I think of an example involving... A simple baseball. You see, the law is not meant for us to uh, compare with others because, again, we failed in one point, we failed in them all. There's a guy named Glenn Gorbos. Glenn Gorbos, chances are almost none of you know who Glenn Gorbos is, but he actually holds a world record. He holds the world record for throwing a baseball the furthest distance. It might surprise you. How far did he throw it? He threw it 445 feet and 10 inches. It's quite a long throw. That means from a home plate in any Major League Baseball stadium, that is going over the center field wall. That is impressive. But if Glenn Gorbos, at his prime, stood next to me, and he and I both held a baseball, and we we threw it towards the sun, let's say Glenn Gorbos breaks his world record and throws it 446 feet. And me? What? Maybe I can get it 250. Well, he beat me by... A significant difference but the reality is the Sun is ninety three million miles away it's four hundred and ninety three point fifty three billion feet away so even if he throws it two hundred feet further than me from the Sun's perspective well there really is no difference and that's how it comes to the law of God see we've all sinned and we haven't just stumbled in one point we've stumbled At heart level, in all the points as you come to Matthew chapter 5, but what we recognize is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, The point of the law is not to compare us with others and decide who's better and who's done less sin. In fact, the enemy of our soul would love for us to focus on such things. Well, there's more. This portion of scripture is also not to command us to obey, but rather to invite us to know The heart of God these ten words I've mentioned already given in relationship not as a king to his people as much as a bridegroom to his bride and that context does change the way we approach it see when I wake up in the morning I don't think oh how do I have to please my wife what do I have to do I don't think what I have to do I think what do I get to do to uh, allow her to feel loved cared for how can I walk in such a way where her heart is pleased why because I love her and this is really the reflection we get to walk with God we get to and as we get to he gives us his heart he gives us how then we ought to live which is this love letter called the Word of God the fifth thing I would say is this is not to constrain us the law of God The Mosaic Law here, it's not to keep us back from a good life. God's not trying to constrain us from having freedom. True freedom is found in living the purpose for which we were created to live, and that is in relationship with our Creator. And so when someone um, talks about being free, I think, well, what does the Word of God teach in John 8, verse 32? It says, and you will know the truth. Not a truth, not your truth, the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's where freedom is found, not in the absence of direction, but in the perfect direction of God, which is an invitation to the person of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the final point, the necessity. See, the law was like a multi-use item, like like a Swiss army knife. Uh, In Romans 7, 7, what does it say? What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means yet if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin so the law clearly had a purpose to reveal to us our need before god but let's look at galatians chapter 3 because in that we'll see a few aspects of the necessity of the law see the law was not just something uh, given as a good idea the law was needed for us today and, and w- You'll see how that, how that plays out. So verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now let's talk about that for a minute before we move on. It says imprisoned everything under sin. This is the idea of a barrier. See, the law shut things up like a prison cell. In other words it describes that that word is describing a fish that's caught in a net or a trap um, which is a, a common way of fishing in many parts of the world see that's what the law did it trapped us under sin until we enter by faith through Jesus Christ that's what Galatians 3 verse 22 is saying it imprisoned everything under sin it kept us in this trap until the moment of our salvation Uh, Spurgeon said it like this he said well do I remember when I was shut up in this fashion I struggled and strove with might and main to get out but I found no way of escape I was shut up until faith came and opened the door and brought me out into the glorious Liberty of the children of God we'll continue on in that passage verse 23 now before faith came We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. See, so the law keeps man in this custody, right? And that word to keep is very interesting. It's a military term. And the idea is a soldier on guard. So go back to the fact that we're in this cell being held, but we also are being kept. We have this protection, this soldier, this guarding of that cell. Get this picture that we are, there's no way out. Unless somebody comes and frees us from this cell, from this trap, as the language goes. And so uh, I, I I find it tragic and I find it sad when people say things like, the Ten Commandments is my religion. The Ten Commandments is your religion? What does that even mean? Ultimately, that's damnation. Why? Because we're all condemned under the law. We've all failed. We've all stumbled. But hang on. Verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came, or our tutor, our schoolmaster. So the law serves as this tutor to do what? To lead us to Christ. Um, it, It carries this connotation of somebody who's taking a child to the schoolmaster and leaving him there. Um, So think about what's going on here. We've got the law, which is bringing us to where we need to be. And that is ultimately a point of desperation. It's a point of us recognizing our need for a savior, a need to be rescued from the consequences of disobedience to the law. And so how does it close out in that passage, the end of verse 24, in order that we might be justified, how? by faith justified by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in christ jesus you are all sons of god through faith and so this is where it all ends up in the person of jesus christ you see this this law of god is positive why because the demands of this law were only and could only be fulfilled by one, and that is God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say in Matthew five 17? Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Oh, this is glorious. Romans 10, 4. For Christ... Oh, don't miss this. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Where? To everyone... Who believes the end of the law for righteousness? In other words, trying to find righteousness in the law. This is the end of trying to find righteousness in the law. Why? Because in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled the law, Christ is our righteousness, as 1 Corinthians 1.30 says. It also says he's our wisdom from God and our sanctification. And one more verse in John chapter 1 verse 17. For while the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Oh, this is so glorious i hope that you're encouraged as we look at these 10 words we see the context in which they were given we recognize that god does share his heart with us but our righteousness our position with god is not through our obedience to the law but rather our surrender to the lord jesus christ who so loved us and gave his life conquering the grave so that we might have a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. John Newton wrote a triumphant hymn that I want to close with. Listen to these lyrics. Don't let them just be uh, poetic language that sounds beautiful. Grasp the meaning behind it. He wrote, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the laws loud thunder he has quenched mount sinai's flame he has washed us in his blood he has brought us nigh to god let us wonder grace and justice join and point to mercy's store when through grace in christ our trust is justice smiles and asks no more he who washed us with his blood has secured our way to god have you put your faith and the only one who can secure your way to God, it's not through the 10 words, through the Decalogue, through the 10 commandments, but rather through the one who fulfilled the law and said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This has been Into Your Bible, and I invite you to check out www.intoyourbible.org or our YouTube page, Instagram, wherever, for more videos and information and free downloads. Um, But until next time, remember, this is a place where we seek a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word.